You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God in a box of limitations. He put God in a box and said, you can only act this way. And God was going to shake Peter to the core. Is God shaking you to the core today? Is he shaking you to the core today of the things that are happening in the world, the things that are happening in here, the people dying and going to hell? Everywhere we look, is God shaking you to the core and saying, you need to get busy. Time is short. I'm coming soon. Prepare the way. Prepare the way for the kingdom of God. Is God shaking you and saying, get out there and tell somebody about the gospel message? And are you saying, not so, Lord? Have you ever been in a situation where someone asked you to do something, but you were hesitant to do it? God has called you for a purpose as a believer, but you may become hesitant and deny His will. Pastor Dave shows you today how you can surrender to God's will. God wants the best for you. All you have to do is obey. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he continues his message. Not so, Lord. Before the foundations of the world, God said he loved the world so much that he was going to send his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This vision that Peter doesn't understand. Peter's still thinking food. Peter's still thinking with his stomach. The sheet bound in the four corners shows the message of the gospel. God's message going to the north, south, east, and west. It's going to the entire world. The gospel would be available to all. Look at Peter's response. I love Peter's response. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I want to draw your attention to Peter's response as being a perfectly inconsistent statement. Let me repeat that. Peter's response to the Lord is a perfectly inconsistent statement, but one that is way too familiar to all of us. Not so, Lord, impossible. Impossible. Total inconsistency. How can you say, not so, Lord? If Jesus is your Lord and asks you to do something, the only response is, yes, Lord. You cannot say, not so, Lord. You can say, not so, buddy. You can say, not so, friend. But you can't say, not so, Lord. You can't say that. It's my prayer that we wouldn't have this inconsistency in our life. It's my prayer that when the Lord calls us to do something, we would say, yes, Lord. Our response would be immediately, yes, Lord, as he calls us to show us the things that he wants to do. But oftentimes, we find ourselves arguing with God when he challenges us to do something. I can't do that. You know I can't do that, Lord. That's beyond my reach. I can't do that. You want me to do what? Not me, Lord. Come on, call somebody else. It's a lot like Moses standing before the burning bush. I can't do this. But when I speak that way, guess who's in the driver's seat? I am. I've placed myself in the driver's seat. I'm putting myself in the position of Lord. Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is not kosher. I've never eaten anything that is uncommon, unclean. I love Peter. You know, he had a habit of telling the Lord no. He had a habit of telling the Lord no. In fact, 
The scripture we looked at, when Jesus gave him the keys of the kingdom, it was because of his statement, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. When Peter said to Jesus, thou art the Christ, son of the living God, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to make your name Peter, and here are the keys of the kingdom. And then he proceeds to tell the disciples that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the Pharisees and be this and this be crucified. What does Peter respond? Far be it from you, Lord. Not so, Lord. You can't do that. What did Jesus say? Jesus looked at him and said, get behind thee, Satan. When we say not so, Lord, it's our flesh rearing up. It's Satan not wanting to do the, the work of God. And Jesus rebuked Peter terribly. How about the time when, at, the, at the supper, at the big supper, the last supper? Judas is gone to do his business. Jesus gets up, girds himself, takes a pail of water, and starts washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter, our man Peter. You can't wash my feet, Lord. You can't, well, you can't do that. Not so, Lord. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have nothing of me. Well, then wash me all over. No, it's just your feet I need to wash. They're the things that touch the earth. It's just your feet. Compare Peter's response this week, not so, Lord, to Cornelius' response last week. What is it, Lord? How about Saul's response? Lord, what do you want me to do? Look at the difference in the responses. On this day, it seems that Cornelius was a lot more spiritual than Peter. Are you in the habit of telling the Lord no? You know, Peter had put God in a box of limitations. He put God in a box and said, you can only act this way. And God was going to shake Peter to the core. Is God shaking you to the core today? Is he shaking you to the core today of the things that are happening in the world, the things that are happening in here, the people dying and going to hell? Everywhere we look, is God shaking you to the core and saying, you need to get busy, time is short, I'm coming soon, prepare the way, prepare the way for the kingdom of God. Is God shaking you and saying, get out there and tell somebody about the gospel message? And are you saying, not so, Lord. I've got to get my hair done. Not so, Lord. I've I got to go look at some cattle I'm going to buy. Huh? Not so, Lord. Peter's not so, Lord, is a, is, is a call of the flesh. It's a call of the flesh to this great principle that God was putting before him. Peter had to learn that men and women were equal before God. God has no regard of these separate things that separate men and women at the time. Men and women couldn't even worship together at that time. There was a rope in between, and women were on one side and men were on the other side. They couldn't even worship together, let alone the Gentiles. They had their own separate court, which was way far away. God was going to get rid of these things. Interesting enough here, though, Peter is saved. Peter is saved. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that from the, from the beginning of Acts. We saw that. Peter had been greatly used by God. But Peter is still Peter. Dave is still Dave. And every now and then that old flesh wants to rear its head and it gets the notion that he, my flesh, knows better than God. Just as communing with God is a great place to be, when your flesh tells you that you know better than God, that's not such a good place to be. Because then gonna, God's going to have to deal with you. He's going to deal with Peter. He dealt with Jonah. Jonah became whale vomit. We fall in the trap of thinking that we have to be perfect before we can serve God. Peter was far from perfect, and God used him mightily. Mightily. Why did God use him? Remember the talk we had about being available? Peter was available to God. He was there. He was seeking. He was searching. 
We have to be ever careful that even though we're in Jesus Christ, even as Christ is in our life, we must guard against the evil tendencies of our old nature. Our old nature wants to come back and rule. Remember the scripture? There's a war going on. The flesh and the spirit are at enmity with one another. There's a fight going on for supremacy of this body. We must yield. Yield to the Spirit. We must yield to the Spirit in every single thing we do. We must let the Spirit rule and reign in our bodies. Let the Spirit of God rule and reign and lead us into the truth. Lead us into salvation. Show us what we must do and then empower us to do those very things. That's why Paul used to say, reckon the flesh dead. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon it dead and move on in the Spirit. The flesh is never dormant. You may think you got it conquered, but it's just sitting back there waiting for the opportune time to strike. In verse 15, Peter hears the voice again. A voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. The precious blood of Jesus Christ is capable of cleansing all mankind. Did you hear that? The precious blood of Jesus Christ is capable of cleansing all mankind. From the person who thinks he never sins to the deepest, darkest, horriblest, most sinner ever precious blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse all sin if it's confessed to him and if it is repented of. That's what the Scripture says. God responds clearly to Peter. What God has cleansed or what I have declared to you clean, Peter, you cannot call common. You cannot call impure, unholy, unacceptable to God. What I call clean, I'm telling you right now, is clean. The way the thought in the Old Testament was, there was holy and there was common. The holy was made common when they came in contact with each other. When something holy was touched by something common, it, it didn't stay holy, it became common. And that's why they had these rituals. They had these rituals cleansing so that you can cleanse yourself of the commonness, of the, of the um, unholiness or the un uncleanliness. When something was made holy, it was called consecration. It's been consecrated by God in the Old Testament. When something is made common, it's called desecration. Desecration. At this point, Peter still believes that God's talking about food. But very, very soon, God is going to show Peter that he has another point in mind. He has something else in mind. In verse 16, it reads that this was done three times, and the object was taken into heaven. God emphasizes his point to Peter three times. He got Peter's attention, and Peter soon would be put to a test. He would soon tell Peter what he wanted him to do. How do these experiences apply to us today? How can we take these experiences that Peter's looking at and apply them to our lives today? Because, you know, I've said before that if we don't take the Scriptures and apply them to their, our lives today, then they're worthless. We need to take what we learn in scriptures and we apply it to our day to life. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question that you need to think about. What's on your sheet that's being laid down in front of you? What's on the sheet that's being laid down in front of you? There are things on that sheet that God is saying, what I've called clean, you can't call common. What's on that sheet? Homeless? The poor? What's on that sheet that's coming down from, from in front of you that you think you can't get near because you don't want to be, be, be touched? Maybe it's a family member or various neighbors are on that sheet that you refuse to show them the Lord. 
Because you're just like Jonah, and you're not going to say they're, they're worthy. They're not worthy of God's kingdom. Who are we to say who's worthy and who's not? Maybe it's a different faith group. Maybe it's a different faith group that you think about witnessing to. Maybe it's a, a, a different ethnic group or people with ethnic backgrounds. And yes, maybe it's people of different color. Maybe there's a color issue in your life. What's on your sheet that you're saying, not so, Lord, today? What's God asking you to do? Maybe it's a relationship. Who knows what God's asking you to do? You're saying, not so, Lord, I don't touch unclean things or common things. I don't do that. Is the Lord telling you today, how can you call common what I've cleansed? Maybe you're saying, not so, Lord, to the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit's on that sheet that's being lowered. You've been grieving the Holy Spirit. You've been resisting the Holy Spirit. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to take care of your life, to yield to your life, to lead your life, to guide your life, because you're afraid of what you've seen and what you've heard. You're afraid that somehow you'll be under control of this thing. You don't know your scriptures. You haven't read your scriptures when it says that the person is in control of the Spirit. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're saying, I'm not going to give up my religious attitudes. I'm not going to give up my traditions, and I'm not going to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe the Lord is asking you for obedience today, and you're saying, not so, Lord. Not so, I won't do it. Worst of all, worse than anything else I can think of, maybe the offer of salvation is on that sheet. Maybe you're being offered salvation through Jesus Christ today, and you're saying, not so, Lord. I don't want it. Maybe that's what's happening in your life. Do you understand what's wrong in your family? Maybe it's time to make that step and accept Christ into your life. Accept Christ and allow him to do a work that he so wants to do. David Platt wrote a book called Radical, and I've been reading it again for the second time. It's my second time through. Pretty powerful book. I really, really like it. Maybe some of you have read it. I just want to share with you something that hit me as I reread the first chapter again. I keep reading it about five or six times. But I want to just share with you something that fits with today's message. Okay? Please bear with me. He begins, The youngest megachurch pastor in history. While I could dispute that claim, it was nonetheless the label given to me when I went to pastor a large, thriving church in the Deep South, the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. From the first day, I was immersed in strategies for making the church bigger and better. Authors I respect greatly would make such statements as, decide how big you want your church to be and go for it, whether it's 5, 10, 20,000. Soon my name was near the top of the list of pastors of the fastest-growing U.S. churches. There I was, living out the American church dream. But I found myself becoming uneasy. For one thing, my model in ministry is a guy who spent the majority of his time with 12 men. A guy who, when he left the earth, only had 120 people who were actually sticking around and doing what he told them to do. More like a mini-church, really. Jesus Christ, the youngest mini-church pastor in history. So how was I to reconcile the fact that I was now pastoring thousands of people with the fact that my greatest example in ministry was known for turning away thousands of people? Whenever the crowd got too big, he'd say something like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in me. Not exactly the sharpest church-growing tactic in the world. I can almost picture the look on the disciples' faces. Oh, no, not the drink my blood speech again. 
We'll never get on the list of the fastest growing movements if he keeps doing that one. By the end of the speech, all the crowds had left and only 12 men remained. Jesus apparently wasn't interested in marketing himself to the, to the masses. His invitations to follow him were clearly more costly to the crowds who were ready to accept. And it seemed to be okay with that. He was okay with that. He focused instead on the few who believed in him when he said radical things. And through their radical obedience to him, he turned the course of history in a new direction. Radical like Peter. Radical like John. Radical like Paul. Soon I realized I was on a collision course with an American church culture where success is defined by bigger churches, bigger budgets, bigger crowds. I was now confronted with a startling reality. Jesus actually spurned the things that my church culture was said were most important. So what was I to do? I found myself faced with two big questions, and here's what applies to today's message. The first was simple. Was I going to believe Jesus? Was I going to embrace Jesus even though he said radical things that drove crowds away? And secondly, was more challenging than the first, was I going to obey him? Was I going to obey him or say, not so, Lord? My biggest fear even now is that I will hear Jesus' words and walk away content to settle for less than radical obedience to him. In other words, my biggest fear is that I will do exactly what most people did when they encountered Jesus in the first century. Remember, you can say not so, and you can say Lord, but you can't say them in the same sentence. You can't say Lord, not so, or not so Lord. Interesting scripture. Interesting scripture in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 6 in the Gospel of Luke, interesting scripture that Jesus brings up, Jesus talking to his disciples, says something extremely interesting. He begins in verse 46 of chapter 6 with these very, very poignant words. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? I love that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and don't do what I ask you to do. He said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show him who he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against it, that the house, and that would shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and ruined that the house was great. Remember I used to say when I lived in Ocean City that the beach was my prayer closet. The beach was my prayer closet. I'd go out there and I would walk and I would have such great times. Well, in Ocean City they had these things with huge rocks. They're called jetties. And this was their brilliant idea that if they put these jetties out there, sand would hold within the jetties. Well, it was just the opposite. The jetties made the sand go down to North Wildwood. But anyhow, every so often... The Army Corps of Engineers would spend your taxpayers' money, and they'd come in, and they'd pump all the sand in Ocean City, and they'd cover up all these beautiful jetties all the way out. And everybody would go, oh, look, how wonderful. we got this great big beach. How wonderful, how joyous. So one day I was out there. One day I was out there, and I looked at that beach, and I saw, I saw, the, I saw the great big sand, and I saw the rocks. I said, that's pretty cool. We had a storm, and I went back out there and went, where's the sand? It was gone. But the rocks remained. And that scripture that we just read came to mind. 
That scripture we just read came to my mind when I looked out there and I saw those bare rocks. I said, when the storms of life come and you're standing on something that's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the rock of Jesus Christ, when the storm comes and all the sand is swept away, you're still standing on the rock. The rock is still there. It hasn't moved. But if there's no rock, you are swept away with the sand. You are gone. What are you standing on today? Where is the foundation that you have? The Lord is asking us, you know, outward conformity, he's saying, it's not enough. You must be a doer of the word, it says, not a hearer only. Calling Jesus Lord is a empty, is, excuse me, calling Jesus Lord is an empty statement if it never makes a difference in your life. If you're calling Jesus Lord and there's no difference in the life that you live, it's an empty statement and it has no meaning whatsoever. Just like what I read in the book, we're faced with two questions. Two very, very simple, poignant questions. Today, will you believe Jesus? Will you believe him and call him Lord? And then the next question, will you be obedient? Obedient to what he has called you to do, regardless of what that looks like. It may mean asking the Holy Spirit to come into your life. It may mean accepting him. It may mean going on the missionary field. It may mean going out that door and passing out tracts. It may mean whatever it may mean to you. Well, we have a loving and wonderful God who is a perfect gentleman. He will never force you. He will never force you. He will never push you out that door. He will not force you. Although you may feel like whale slime, when you don't go, you may feel like you've done something totally wrong. When you don't go, when you say no to the Lord, but he won't force you to go. But we want to experience everything the Lord has for us. I don't know about you, but I've said this before. I am so greedy when it comes to my Lord. And I mean, I want everything that he has for me. I want it. Likewise with the church. I want everything that the Lord has for this church. I want it in the worst way. Lord, reveal yourself. Show us through your spirit what you want for this church, what you want us to do. I want that. That's what I want in my life. Those kinds of things. We talked last week, I don't want religion anymore. Been there, done that. I don't want religion. I want a lasting relationship with a true and loving God who sent his son to die for me. Sent his son to die for me that I might have that relationship for when he died. Because he died, I have a relationship. It took his death to set me free. I've been free by the death of a man. But it wasn't just a man. It was God on a cross for me. Dying. And that's my hope. My prayer is for you today that when the Lord calls you, and He will, when He touches you on that shoulder, you will not say, not so, Lord. You will not say, not so, Lord, but you will say, yes, Lord, here I am. Here am I. Here am I. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on grace. Sure.